what I believe. There's, there's a spectrum of influence from people being dominated by these spirits to where they, it's, it's like they have very little control over their choices to people who are being influenced. And, and there's, a, there's a spectrum. And I've, I've had two times, three times, but two times in particular I'll tell you about where there were two people who I'm, I'm confident they were Christians. I'd known them for some time. And in both cases, um, and I heard their testimony, I saw their lives, but in both cases, they, when I was with them, um, they were a, a, a force other than them seemed to control them, a voice that was not theirs came out of them, and, and then it responded to the name of Jesus. So that's anecdotal. Um, and were they, were they controlled to the point where they didn't have any control? No. They had, they had authority. They needed some over, this, over these beings, but they just needed some help. We had a lady years ago who was a mess. She was in her home, and she faked demonization. And... Um, and she, she, she looked like, so here's the catch. <laughs> she was faking demonization, but I don't think she knew how she was being controlled by demons while she was faking demonization, if that makes sense. And so as we were going and she was acting just like a, a demonized person would, I was watching her and I said, what are you doing? And then she stopped and she kind of laughed. And so I thought, okay, you're playing with this, but you don't know that you're really not playing with this, that they're playing with you. There's a, a book called The Beautiful Side of Evil. I've read a couple of times about a lady who thought she was, true story, about a lady who thought she was following Christ, and she thought Christ had given her these powers, healing powers. It turns out she was being controlled by these demonic spirits. Oz Guinness, some of you have read Oz Guinness' stuff. He's a, a Christian apologist. He was a part of her coming to Christ. And as she was going towards this chalet, it was over in, it was in Labrie, where Francis Schaeffer's ministry was. When she's going to this chalet to meet with Oz, these spirits then begin to physically pummel her, trying to physically beat her as she's trying to get to this place. And then she realizes she, what she thought was she was following God. She'd really been given over to these demons. There's a book, uh, if you're interested, called The Adversary, which is a pretty balanced, I think, theology of of dealing with, uh, of, of demonization in the scripture. Been around for a long time. The author was a pastor. He died in the last couple of years. So, but what's the pastoral role? And when I say pastoral, I mean you. You're a pastor. You're a lay pastor. What's the pastoral role in dealing with, with demonic influence in people, whatever the spectrum? And so I say, I, my, my opinion is that whatever, wherever they are on the spectrum, um, it's the same path. And the, and the path is going to mean for them to get help, whether it's influence or overt, you know, controlling kind of things. It's going to take, uh, they're going to have to come to Christ. Uh, they're going to need to come to Christ. They're going to need to believe the gospel. Uh, and, they're going to, and they're going to need new mental habits, new relational habits, and new spiritual patterns. They're going to have to put away certain activities and habits, stop sinning, and they're going to have to put on new habits, start obeying. So wherever they are in that spectrum, the same kind of things have to happen, in my opinion and experience. And so some pastoral care principles would be, for, for you and for me, would be it's really important that we walk with Jesus personally. The disciples were unable to deal with the demon because Jesus said this kind can only come out by prayer. 
you remember that story, Mark 9. And it wasn't like they weren't praying. I mean, the implications were they were relying upon themselves. They, they weren't, and Jesus came in and told them to hit, hit the road, and they did. And the idea there is that, is that they, they really weren't, they weren't trusting Jesus. They weren't walking with Jesus. And um, the second point is you, you, have, you have family authority over the enemy. You have borrowed authority over the enemy. And you don't have to be an expert in theology of demons and Satan to have authority over demons. You just do. And um, you, have to, you want to walk with Jesus. But if you walk with Jesus and you don't know anything other than Jesus is my daddy and he has power over you, that's really enough. And you have to believe that. The demons know that. <laughs> but they're not going to give on that they know that. You, that's why you need to know it. So you need to think of it like, you know, you've you got some bully, and the bully's bigger than you, and the bully's coming at you, and behind you is your dad, and he happens to be Shaquille O'Neal or some seven-foot-tall, 300-pounder. And, and, um, and, you know, that's my dad right there. And you, need, you really need to believe, you need to know, that it's true, you need to believe that. And it can be, if you're ever in an experience where there are demons, you, it can be harrowing to say, I'm going to tell you in the name of Jesus to stand down, to go where Jesus sends you to stop, and to believe they're going to comply. And they may resist, but they, but they have to comply. So you, you need to know your authority because they do. Third pastoral principle I would say is don't be drawn into drama. Often a crisis will precipitate some movement in someone's life. If someone starts moving towards Christ or then the, the demons, if they are being influenced by demons, they'll start acting up. And so um, when that happens, their life can become a crisis, an immediate drama. And you can't let people's crisis turn your life into a crisis because I'm telling you, the solution is going to be a long-term solution. And uh, it doesn't mean you don't go pray or whatever, but if it's like, Every night there, you know, there's something going on or, or they call you in the middle of the night or whatever. I would, um, if somebody's not going to die, <laughs> then you need to just uh, take your time, get the facts, get a plan, get counsel, get it right because you cannot let their chaos become yours. It's just not helpful. And when you're, you know, and, and if you don't, if you haven't done this much, I mean, dealt with people much or... Um, or at this level much, it's, it's really easy to get drawn in really quickly to the, the crisis and the chaos. And, and then we end up having a couple of casualties. And so it's, it's better just to, just to be methodical. You know, it's ready, aim, 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 fire. It's not ready, fire, aim. So the fourth is, is don't be amazed by supernatural stuff. Be amazed by God. Don't even get fascinated by it. And if you, it is fascinating. It's unusual. But fascination is, is not helpful. So learn about the enemy, but don't try to spend time in his mind. I know if you've ever read, when C.S. Lewis was writing screw tape letters, it took him a long time to get over that because he spent so much time in the mind of the enemy that he said it took him time to recover from that. And he was, when he was, he was ready to be done with it. Uh, it's like agents who go undercover, drug agents or 
infiltrate terrorist cells, but particularly, particularly like I've heard the stories of drug agents who go undercover, and they live undercover for years, and sometimes they go dark. They, sometimes they turn into criminals because what we focus on shapes who we are. And um, so these people spent so much time living in that dark world and they went dark. So it's not, it's not to be afraid of it, but it's just the, the two problems in dealing with the demonic are, are too much attention and too little attention. And so too much attention, too much fascination is not good. Um, ask for help. And I would say, again, if someone calls you, and, and which has happened to us, and there's, there's a problem, and we've got to go right now, probably not. Maybe so, but probably not. And, um, and there, there's, cause it's going to be, it's going to be a long-term solution. Even if, if you say, we're going to go over tonight and we're going to deal with these demons and they're going to be gone, if they haven't developed new patterns, they're not going to be helping long-term. So I'm not saying there's not a time to go deal with the demonic stuff, but if they're not developing, the, if not closing the gap, they're, they're not going to get long-term help. People go to Dr. Grigg all, every week, every day, and they walk in and they have long-term problems that are going to have long-term solutions, and they say, give me the pill. And he says, I don't have a pill. And they get frustrated with him. And the spiritual side is no different. So sometimes people are hopeful that if you can cast out a demon, then I won't have to do the work of closing the gap. It just doesn't work that way. Um, human, the, the, the sixth thing I would say, the next thing is human problems are complex. We are spiritual, mental beings, we are social beings, we have brains and we have minds, and um, the mind is shaped by choices, the brain can be rewired by chemicals or accidents or trauma, and the brain and the mind are not the same thing, and so we're very complicated beings, and so we, we need to make sure we're approaching people in a holistic way and not, not try to oversimplify it. Simplify it. So any, any, that's, that's all I'm going to talk about that. And um, if, if you want to do some reading, I, I, there's, a, there's a number of books out there. I think the, the, the most balanced theological one is The Adversary. It's not a real tough read. It's got a lot of prayers in there. Wear, they, they wear me. I don't read those. It's got like he, he loves to write prayers, and so he has prayer for every scenario, every situation. So if you don't read the prayers, you can read the book in half the time. <laughs> so, but if you want to read all the prayers, feel free to read the prayers. I don't. I just skip them. Uh, uh, any, um, any thoughts or questions or comments on that? If you have any, you know, feel free to call me. We can get coffee or email or talk. The next topic, again, I told you that would be pretty brief, but this is pretty brief as well, is just a... Just, uh, I want to hit again, the, we're not meeting that often as leadership community. We're meeting you know, just a few times a year. So I want to just reiterate the importance of intentional development of people, that, that you see that as your role in developing people. You're developing yourself, you know, but you're, you have a, you have a, you're called to invest in people. As leaders, you're called to develop people. And I, I just want to tell you that you can develop people and and some people in here are really good at it and have a lot of confidence and competence and other people could be good at it but for some reasons different reasons maybe you're intimidated or 
don't think you could be, but everybody in this room has the potential to be really good at developing people. And the need is tremendous. The need for developing people is tremendous. The, the, the culture at large is not developing people well. And um, I mentioned in church how I, I met with the, the adjutant general is the guy in the state who's in charge of the Air and Army Guard. His name is Lee Taffanelli. And he said, Terry, the, the demand is high for people who will serve our state and our nation. And the supply is getting smaller and smaller in terms of the people who have the character. You know, and, and, you know, Josh, you hire people, and you, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, just if you find a person who has, and, and you deal with people who are low on the threshold. You know, he, he, he works for the prison population. He has a part of his job and is overseeing uh, over in Hutch people who work for him and their prisoners. Some of them are in there for their lives. And so he's developing people at that level. Um, so we know what society is producing. We also know what can happen if we get intentional about developing people. And so let me just let me give some barriers, and I'm going to give a simple model that I, some of, many of you have seen before, but I'll give it to you again because I think it's so helpful. Some of the barriers are insecurity. You know, who am I to develop anybody? If I look in the mirror, if I think about my own failures, uh, who am I to, to develop anybody? And... Um, and I understand that. I think we all understand that. But we really have to get over that because it's, we have to develop people. And the need, Jesus said, that the harvest is great, the laborers are few. And if, and if it's not me, if it's not you, who's it going to be? And, and we can't wait for it to be somebody else who's better than we are. <laughs> I, I, you may have heard the story before. I'll tell it again. But I was the, the, one of the big awakenings of my life was 15 years ago. Um, Oliver, I was sitting in a staff meeting out at the base, and the wing leadership was talking about flying, at that time, flying planes, and they were talking about all this stuff I had no idea what they were talking about, and I was just over there waiting for the meeting to get over so I could interact with people and do my job as a chaplain. And finally, the commander said, they started talking about a people issue, a people problem, and they said, well, we need to leave this to the expert, and he looked over at me, and I was just listening, and I was nodding my head, and I started going, whoa, he's talking about me. And um, I guess I'm supposed to be the expert in that. And I did not feel at all an expert in that. But I looked around the room and thought, if not me, who? And so at that point, I, you know, it was one of those times, many times in my life where uh, we've we got to quit waiting for some other person to be the expert. It's, it's us. It's you. <laughs> and so we just need to own it. And, and just like, like uh, this is it. This is God, this is who you've got, and I'm, I'm willing to go. The second barrier is perceived complexity. Developing people sounds so complex. People are complex. Developing people is fairly simple. Uh, it's, just, it's just be and then get with people, and then it can get more complex from there. It's, it's, it's you know, have a plan, have in your mind, if we're closing the gap, have in your mind what's on this side, have some idea of figuring out where they are, and then having some kind of simple plan to move them forward, and you just participate in that. It's really not that complex. It's just difficult, but it's not super complex. And then the third is lack of intention, intentionality. What we believe is important, we're going to give our time and efforts to. And so you, you, you have to become 
be convinced. If you're not, and, and most of you are, that's why you're here. You're here on a Sunday afternoon. So most of you know how this is important and you want to do it. And you also know how meaningful it is in your life when you're part of it. And so you get, you and I, we get so much out of being allowed to be helping people develop. And then the fourth barrier is lack of, a history of lack of reception. I've tried this, they don't want it. Or I've tried this and it doesn't work. I've tried this and I've been disappointed. I could ask who's been, who's invested in people and raise your hand and been disappointed. Everybody would probably raise their hand. But um, people do want to be developed. Not every person, but people do want to be developed. They want help. And they may not act like it. Um, they may be in and out. But a lack of reception can, can make you think, it's well, I'm just not good at it, or, or it's not, I'm not the person people want, or any kind of things. But people do want development. I mean, we, we have a, a row of young guys here, uh, younger than me guys. You're not young guys. You're not high school, but these guys want to be developed, and I want to be developed. We had a, we had some interns from K-State in our home yesterday, about 15 interns, and we were talking about how, how they asked me, because I mentioned how as you get older, you can get more fearful, and, um, and they said, why is that? And I said, well, it's because you know more. You know what the possibilities are of what can happen, and so I said, that's why, you know, Garrett was there, and I said, that's why, um, I need I need you and you need me, you know you 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 need you need someone who's older, I need someone who's younger, we need this cross collaboration so people really do want to be developed. And then there's a lack of just clear direction. How do I do this? What does it even look like? So I wanted to give you this sequence in learning by need model again. This is a, a simplified version of it, which is better, which is good. Um, and if you so just, just for my own, we'll review it anyway, but just for my own sake of uh, interest, who, who remembers the sequence in learning by need? Raise your hand if you remember it. Oh, that's really good. <laughs> I'm not going to bore anybody, I don't think. Um, so it's called a sequence in learning, sequence as in sequential learning by need, meaning it's, it's, it's actually people's felt and real needs. It's not imposed on you. Like, here's the plan, Eric. It's like this is what's actually happened in Eric's life. And so down below here, below the basics, a person comes to Christ. A person becomes a Christian. So on this side, on this side, we'll say here's the questions they're asking. And over here would be this is a person who's come to Christ over here. How do I do this? This is the, the mentor over here who's walking along the Holy side of the Holy Spirit, walking alongside this person to help them grow. This is a pretty good, um, I, for me, a pretty helpful model for evaluating where they are and, and where they can be, how to develop them. And, and understand this is a simple model. It doesn't fit reality because all of it's theology. <laughs> and Jesus is Lord of all of it. All, but but you'll, you'll get the idea. So a person comes to Christ. The first question that their heart is asking how do I do this? That's the first question they're asking. How do I do this? If they came to Christ 10 years ago and were never helped in the basics, they're still asking that question. And, the, and so the role of the mentor, if they've never got the basics down, and Heather, Heather hit on it, um, we're doing it with our kids, but sometimes adults need this, the, is, is how do I do this? 
they need to know how to have a quiet time. And, and I know, I've talked about this before, but Russ had a quiet time with Mike Hughes for, I don't know, Russ, six or nine months or a year. And he just had a quiet time with him. They met three times a week or something, had a quiet time with him. And, if, and then Mike got it. Um, but have a quiet time. First John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, God is faithful. Some, that's a basic. You, you, you know that you confess your sins and you can fess, mess up, fess up, move on. You know what, the, what are some of the other basics of walking with Jesus? Just the basic stuff of doing this. What are some, what are some ideas? Prayer. Go to church. Exactly. Just show up. That's a basic. But people, that, that sounds, we can become, we, we, we've moved so far into this, we forget some of the basics. Show up. Prayer. What else? People don't know how to pray. What else? Read your Bible. Yeah. And then where do I start? And, and uh, what do I do when it's confusing? What, what are other basics? Would you consider basics? Give. Give time, talents, treasure. That's a basic. Forgive people. It's a basic. Uh, just learning, learning the basics. What happens is if you get, if you, if you get people, and, and your role is not to say, you need to do this, you need to do this. Rodney's going to take this over in a minute. We're going to use Brenda, um, Reese's training from the fall. We're going we're to use her training from the fall to, to blend into this model and how to help people. Um, what do we call it? Something questioning? Never mind. Brenda? <laughs> Motivational interviewing. He didn't have his notes. Motivational interviewing. I know what it is, but I couldn't think of the term. So does he. Motivational interviewing, using, having, helping people, um, not driving them, but leading them. So if a person starts walking with Jesus, and if you think about your own story, what happens next? I'll tell you my story. When I started walking with Jesus, a, guy, some, a, a man helped me have a quiet time walk with Jesus. The Holy Spirit started pointing out areas in my life. Nobody needed to do it for me. I was walking with Jesus, and I started going, I started calling people from my past and asking for forgiveness. I started thinking I should treat girls differently. I started thinking different ethically. And so the Holy Spirit started talking to me about lordship issues. The role of the mentor there is not to say, you know, you need to stop smoking and cussing because we want to move so quick on those things. And, but if we'll get them walking with Jesus, the Holy Spirit will start pointing out things in life. And then what we can do is, is encourage them and help them say yes. So that's our role. Is, you know, so what, what do you think God's doing? And I'm really struggling with this. We help them say yes. The Holy Spirit is more patient than we are. We think that, um, I, I had a talk with a, a, a friend this week about Matthew 18, the, the, the church discipline process. Someone sins against you, you go. If they, if, they don't, if they don't respond, you take two. If they don't respond to that, you take them to the whole church. I said, show me where the clock or the calendar is in that passage. Because we think, okay, day one, point two, day one, first, day two, second, day three. How do we know there's not six months between this and that? You know, we, we're, we're more impatient than the Holy Spirit is. And if we'll get them walking with Jesus, the Lord, the Lord will point out things in their life. And then as they say yes to Jesus, from your own experience, you know, Muhammad, what happened is you said yes to Jesus. God started putting, giving you a heart for people. And nobody had to tell you, Muhammad, you need to go reach people. As you said yes to Jesus, you started getting the heart for people. Plus, what happened is people started being drawn to Muhammad because he started changing. 
And I had a friend who's unchurched who met him um, Friday at a, at a restaurant. And then after, and, and after Muhammad walked away, he goes, that guy's got something in his eyes. He's just something different about it. And so people start seeing that and, and they start getting drawn to you. And so the question, the question people start asking then is, what do I do with these people God's put in my life? And so you're not having to, okay, here's, here's the tools of ministry um, you may never use them, but they're, but they're out in ministry and they're, and they're like, I have these people in my life and they're asking me questions and I don't know the answers. And at that point, they're starting to want to learn theology in order to help people. And so what do I do with these people in my life? And so they're asking me these questions, that questions. And when I started saying yes to Jesus and started getting the heart for people, people were asking me questions I had no way, I had no idea to answer. So when I was learning the Bible and learning theology, it was so I could help people. Traditionally, in the Christian subculture, when you come to Christ, where do you go next? Where do you go? Where do you go? Theology. You go straight to theology. Someone comes to Christ, you may teach them quiet time, but what you're going to do is you're going to put them in a class and you're going to teach them theology. And the scripture says, knowledge, what? Puffs up, love builds up. If I'm learning theology because I'm loving people, how is that different than learning theology because I'm not even engaged with people at all? And so if I, as I start doing, learning theology, learning the Bible in order to help people, and by theology, don't be scared. I'm not talking about taking seminary classes. I'm talking about who, who is God? What is sin? How does people? That's all theology. Start doing that. Then lo and behold, you go from like, I'm, I'm, God's given me opportunity in this person's life and that person's life, to pretty soon there's like these people. And, and you find yourself leading a people, leading people. There's, there's kind of a group gathering around you. That's what's happened. And so now there's a, what do I do with these people God's put in my life? And it may be a small group. It may be um, um, the, the folks in the prison, whatever. But you, then you start having questions about, leadership questions and, and um, what does it look like to, to lead groups of people, not just individuals. So all this is, is called a sequence in learning by need because this is how it happens naturally or supernaturally. So can you see how if you're developing people, you could use this simple, pretty simple model to, to try to see where are they? And my goal is not to drive them to the next level. My goal is to see where God is moving cooperate with the Holy Spirit and help him get to the next level. So Rodney, won't you come up and, and um, we're going to take the uh, motivational interviewing model that Risa taught us in this fall and apply it to this model. Rodney? I got my notes now. Motivational interviewing. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate that. <laughs> So I want to take, uh, like what Terry said, some of what Risa talked about and um, you know, some of the things that I've learned hanging out with Kevin Nguyen-Swander, some of the things that Terry's talked about and talking about Dallas Willard um, and some of his terminology and kind of lump them together uh, to kind of make this sort of stew, if you will. I mean, there's a, there's a recipe for chili, right? But everybody has their favorite recipe and you throw a little bit of this and you throw your own little spices in there. So it's... It's some of this and some of that, and then you can throw your own personality and your own approach um, in there as well. But the, really the idea is, like what Terry said, how do we get people to move? And we don't want to 
we don't want to push them. We don't want to, you know, throw down the gauntlet. You've got to change. This needs to happen now. But how can we use questioning to help them move forward? So that sheet that you're getting, one side of it, the one that has fewer lines, is the place where you could take notes. And the other side, with lots of lines, is an activity we're going to do in just a minute. So if you're wondering what that, what that is, that's what that is. Um, so just kind of four categories of questions, and these are really similar to Reese's motivation, motivational interviewing, and I was going over that this week and putting this together, and if you still have those laminated cards, I would encourage you to go back to that, because I found that as I try to practice with people, I can think of one or two questions, and then I get thrown off track, and I think if I was more seasoned with this and I thought about it more often, then those questions would come more readily. So that's a big part of what I want us to do today is to be able to, to practice some of those things. So those four categories um, are where are they, like Terry said, some diagnosing questions. Where could they be? Hey, where is it? I think it just came unhooked back there. Where could they be, which is, which is kind of like Dallas Willard's vision. If you remember vision, intention, mean, we've talked about some in the past. So where are they? Diagnosing questions. Where could they be? They could be at a place where they're having quiet times regularly. So I need to give them a vision for that. How do I ask questions along those lines to help them see where they could be? And then intention, can they actually move forward? Do they have the, any intent of actually doing that? Will they move forward? And then the last one the means, will they, what, what tools do they need? What resources do they need? And so what I want us to think about are what questions do we ask as opposed to saying, Here is, here's what you need to do. You need to do this, this, and this. Do that and you'll be good to go. Well, if people, I, I find that if they kind of discover the answer for themselves, they're actually more motivated to step into it. If I say, Garrett, if you just did these three things, you will, uh, you'll be in great shape. I know that you want to, you know, be buff and manly, so start doing this and you'll be good to go. But if I actually said, so what are, what are your goals? What, what do you hope to get out of going to the gym? And, I, and Garrett, I'm, I made this up completely off the spot, so don't to think this is, this, uh, this is not from a previous conversation I've had with Garrett. And he's a very good-looking young man already. <laughs> but, um, hey, anytime. Um, but... Uh, if, if I engage him in that conversation and he actually discovers the solution, he'll be more likely to step into following through on his own advice. So that's really the intent behind motivational interviewing and these questions is to, is to engage people and let them come to the conclusions themselves. So diagnosing questions, they could be yes or no questions. This is kind of like what Greg does. Um, where's the pain? What's, what's going on in your life? And these are just some ideas. One of Jesus' questions that he asked to the blind man that came to him, uh, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And so the blind man had to say, I want you to give me uh, my sight. So just really straightforward questions. And sometimes they flow from ob observations that we might make in group life. Hey, I noticed in group that uh, you haven't really been saying a whole lot. You seem, usually you're really engaged, but the last couple weeks you haven't been. What, what's going on? Uh, what, what's going on? Is there, is there something going on in your life? Is everything okay? So asking questions to try to figure out where they are. And then the second set of questions is vision questions. What could life be like 
if you grew in this area, helping them get a picture for what could be. Um, and this is this is this takes I, I found in my life takes a lot of work, but it's also um, been the most helpful for me when I want to change something. If I could get a picture in my mind for what the change would look like, how would my life be better if I had this change? And what if I don't? What is my life going to be like if I don't make this change? So with some examples using quiet times. So you want to have a, a consistent quiet time. What, what would be the benefit of having a regular time with God? Helping them paint a picture of the value of actually spending time with God. Because I could say, you know, you should have a quiet time. You're a Christian. You should do that. Okay, but, but why? So them kind of discovering that for themselves. The second set of questions, intent questions. And this is where, are they willing to move? So we painted a picture of, hey, your life will improve or this will happen or whatever. Uh, The vision is clear, but now do they have any intent of actually moving on that? Greg can tell somebody, you know, if you do these three things, your health will improve. But will they actually follow through on those three things? So with these questions, you're trying to gauge um, if they're actually willing to take a step. Closing the gap. I don't know if you guys remember Jamin's video. This has resonated in my mind ever since we watched that video. He said, we have to do the work of mixing the mortar and setting the bricks. We still have to be willing to move. We can want it, but we have to do the work. And so intent questions are asking, will they actually move? And if they won't, have I not done the work on the vision side? Or how do I kind of awaken some of their intent? And if you remember... In motivational interviewing, that's where Risa encouraged us to deal with ambivalence. And don't, don't run away from it. If they're like, well, I kind of want to have a quiet time, but, you know, I, I like sleeping that extra 30 minutes. Okay, well, you know, what, if, what, if you, what, if you, what would it look like if your quiet time was only 15 minutes? You know, would that be, would that be possible? Oh, you know, that, that, maybe that's doable. I could do that. So helping them with the, I want to do it, but it's going to cost me. So you're helping them. Think through those costs a little bit. And then the last set of questions is the means. Do they have the tools and the resources at their disposal? I know one of the things that Heather and Jess have done, because Emily is in sixth grade and she loves her small group, is they have little folders that have, you know, what you're supposed to do for your quiet time. And Emily freaks out. and I forgot my folder. I have to go home and get my folder. Um, but Emily's kind of a rule follower, so that's, you know, she's, she's, it's really important for her, but she needs those tools. She needs those resources. She might have the vision. She might have, yeah, I want to do this. Uh, how do we do this? So that's where asking them questions about, um, you know, when would be the best time for you to have a quiet time? If you were going to do this, you know, when would you like to do it? Because there's no rule around it. And if they can decide, you know, this is the best time I'd like to do it. Okay, so what, what, when would you need to set your alarm? If you're going to do it in the morning before school, um, in Emily's life, that would be too early. Um, when would you have to set the alarm if you're going to have a quiet time? So helping them with those specific things. That's the, um, the means part of the equation. And, and kind of like what Terry said, I think is really critical. This is, this is where I often fail is um, 
God's already doing this. All I have to do is help people see where God is at work and, and really point them in that direction. Oh, man, you, you said something about uh, you want to try to be more faithful with your finances. That's, not, that's probably God bringing that to mind. I don't have to make a big deal out of it. I can say, what does that mean? Why, did you, why do you want to try to work on being more faithful with your finances? You, you want to be kind to your wife. Hey, that sounds like a good idea. You know, how, when did that come about? Did God speak to you in a quiet time about that? Tell me more about that. Um, and that's one question that I, I remember Risa mentioning that I forget to use a lot, which is the question of, what else? Tell me more about that. I think those are a way to just help draw people out. Um, as well. That, that, that question kind of falls in all four of those categories. Tell me more about that. What else are you thinking? Because um, a lot of times people have more to say. We just need to give them the sort of the freedom to say it. So I'd like to do an activity right now. This isn't on your other, this isn't on your sheet that has all the lines, Jim. So we're not quite there yet. So we'll do that one in just a minute. But one kind of big group activity so I can sort of test if you guys are tracking with, with what I'm saying. This morning, actually, uh, at church, I was talking to somebody. So this is a fresh conversation for me. And, and I talked to them about group life. They have gone to group in the past, um, but they aren't going to group right now. And uh, I had texted them multiple times about, hey, you know, you want to come to group? And, and he's kind of him hot around. And like I said, he's been involved in group. So group is not a, a foreign idea to him, but he's not in group right now. And so this morning as I was talking to him, um, he said, you know, he said, I, I don't come to group, but I, I know I should. Those were his actual words. And so I was trying this motivational interviewing, this technique out of maybe he doesn't have a clear vision of what group life is like. So I started to ask him questions and we, we kind of went down the road a little bit and then... Um, Levi Nelson, little Levi, came up to me and said, Hey, where's the suckers? I want a sucker. I'm like, oh, man, I'm trying to have a serious conversation right now. Leave me alone. I didn't say that, but that's going on in my mind. <laughs> and then somebody else, hey, can I? I'm like, oh. So one thing I learned from that, sometimes the setting is really important. Because I probably should have said, man, this, I'm glad that you were having this conversation. I'd like to follow up, but I obviously can't do it right now. So we're going to have to put it on hold and finish later. But what I need your guys' help with is to help me think through what are some vision questions that I should ask this person. Um, maybe they don't have a, a picture of what is the benefit of group life? What's the value of actually plugging in? So what are questions that I could ask them? And then what are some intent questions to measure whether they would actually move forward? Does that make sense? And then the means questions are pretty easy. You know, what night are you available to go to group? And uh, do you want to go to a men's group or do you want to go to... I mean, that one's pretty easy. But the vision and the intent in this case are a little bit more difficult. So here's what I'd like for you to do. Uh, I, have, I know I have these groups listed up there, youth leaders, and I had a whole plan, but I'm going to bag that plan and do something different. So I'd like for you to just take a minute yourself. Okay, I'll stop talking. I'm going to do one minute. And I would like for you to choose... How about this? This half of the room... The Pierces are splitting the room, so right down the middle of the Pierce family, okay? So Josh side of the room, you guys are in charge of, which ones are going to be Josh, vision or? Okay, you guys are in charge of vision questions. What questions could you ask this person 
if you wanted to, to help them see the value of group life, okay? So you guys are in charge of intention, okay? Does that make sense? What questions can you ask this person to help see whether they actually in, intend to move towards getting plugged into a group? I see puzzled looks. You guys are, are you guys good with that? Okay, so I'm going to give you a minute. Go. Yeah. What, what makes you think, you, I mean, why do you feel like you should go to group? That's a great question. One of the things that I, I've, in talking to him and in talking to other people, I try this with my kids as well, I have tried to stay away from why, because why has been a hard, like, using that word. It's still the same idea, but I, I, when I was talking, I seemed like talking to him and talking to my kids, if I can say what, what make what. What makes you, I mean, what, what makes you think you should go to group? And then he can say, well, because if I say why, he might say, well, Terry said this morning in church that this isn't enough, right? And that's what he said in the sermon, so I got to go to group. Okay, well, that's not really a good, a, that's a good reason why you should do what Terry says. Don't, that's, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is um, that's not really a, a significant enough reason for him. So I think you're right, Donovan. You're trying to get to the why but helping him to, when you ask why, then it can, it doesn't really make it about him. Does that make sense? Josh, you got anything? I saw you intent there uh, typing away. So we've just got a couple more minutes, and you probably won't be able to get through this, but I can get you started on it. Um, and that's, so this is the side of the sheet with lots of lines. And at the top of it, it says, list the names of your group members, and, or it just says names, and then where are they? So thinking of Terry's um, triangle, I don't know if you can put that back up there, Trace. If you think about, list your group members' names there, and then without doing, you haven't done the diagnosing questions yet, but just based on your experience with them, what they've said in group, where do you think they are? Are they, are they uh, in at the bottom of the pyramid with basics, which is completely fine. That's, I mean, we, a lot of people live there for a long time. It's a broad, a, broad, a broad base. So write down where you think they're at in a specific issue in their life. They need to work on having a quiet time. They need to just show up. They don't show up faithfully. I need to, maybe I could help them with that. So list their names and where you think they are. And then after that, there's those blocks for those different questions. You can start writing so pick one person after you list their names and where you think they are, and then start having a conversation in your mind with them. Start practicing. What questions would I ask them? Okay, you've talked about you want this to happen in your life. How would I engage them in conversation? Okay, so I'll just give you a few minutes to do that, and then I think Jim's going to come pray for us. Like I said, you won't get through it, but hopefully this will get you kind of started in, in thinking about how do I help people move up the pyramid.